0: Got to confess, with this being Zach's last night and all, I was thinking we were going to have all these slow kind of funeral songs, but very upbeat and lively, hey, not sure exactly what that means, but I like it. Zach, I will give you one piece of advice. I remember being in your shoes 30 years ago. Listen to your wife, my friend. The best advice I can give you as a gospel preacher is listen to your wife. Uh, our Lord has blessed us with wonderful women, and we married way over our heads. And listen to your wife. Uh, great to see you tonight. I uh, I gotta confess, this week has gone by very fast for me. I don't know if it has for you, but it has gone by very quickly for me. And I just love this family in Christ. There is a wonderful spirit here. There is an energy. There is a zeal that is obvious and it is contagious and it is moving. And God bless you in all that you do and in your work. And I know that you're thrilled thrilled to have Jacob with you and you're thrilled for the work that he is doing and the work that Zach has been doing and the work that your elders are doing, but You've got a wonderful family in Christ, and I I know that you know that, but I tell you, there's nothing, nothing sweeter and better in life than knowing that you can always spend time with your church family, and it'll be a rewarding experience. And Cheryl and I kind of have this feeling, as long as everything at church is great, life is great. And it really is. It really is. And you have something special here, and thank you for allowing me to be a part of it. In fact, I... (laughs) I hope you're not too sick of me because we sat down today and we already planned the team weekend today. And you will see me back here in about six months or whatever it is uh, in March. And so we about got it all planned out today and I'm excited uh, for that as well. The Heavenly Library. I'd like to explain to you why I do that. When we... uh, When we really put a huge emphasis at our church back home with our church family of really getting in the book, one of the things that we emphasized over and over and over again was that when you're reading this wonderful treasure we know as the Bible, it is made up of many, many books that were written over a time span of many, many years by many different authors and under many different circumstances. And if you're going to really find the treasure that is in there, it is imperative that when we go to this book, we recognize it is indeed a library of books. And so when you're taking down one of these books you're actually taking down and, if you will, reading somebody else's mail or reading somebody else's historical record or reading somebody else's insight, especially those, like many of the prophets, who were eyewitnesses and saw what was going on. And so what it is very important for us to do is that any time we take down one of those books, that we recognize that this book is indeed part of the book, but it has a standalone factor to it. And therefore, understand its context, understand why it is being written, understand who it is being written to, and then understand the cultural aspect to really glean the importance of the message. For example... How many people have heard everybody in the world quote Philippians 4:13? Anybody know what that passage is? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? In fact, we see that all the time and people are promoting, oh, I can do all things Christ. It doesn't matter what they're doing. (laughs) It could even be something that is almost borderline sinful. In fact, I know some people who literally are doing things borderline sinful and they've got it tattooed all over their body and they say, this is my verse I live by and they fail to understand that verse was not about winning a game, having a thriving business, reaching all of your goals. That verse actually centers around, in its context, a prison cell in which Paul was in prison at the time he was sharing that message. And the whole point of that message is whether I've got a lot or I've got a little, I've learned to be content no matter what comes my way. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. The book of Philippians is one of those jail cell epistles written to a church by a man who was in prison. Does that make sense? Therefore, it's a heavenly library. A heavenly library. So, I hope you have the heavenly library with you. I want you to take down the book of Judges. And I would like for you to turn to Judges chapter 14, okay? Judges chapter 14. To establish the context for us, you understand? The book of Judges was written at a time span in which, well, the children of Israel were in the land that God had promised them. And God is protecting them with deliverers or judges. And in Judges chapter 14, the Lord is going to share with us a little bit of the history of one of these judges. Now, what you need to know about this judge is this. He's a special child. In fact, an angel will announce his birth. And the angel that announces birth to his parents says, Your child is going to be a deliverer of Israel. Now, does that sound kind of familiar? You're going to have a special child, and your child is going to be a deliverer of Israel. Now, here's what you need to do. He needs to be a Nazarite, which means he's going to be separated or consecrated to the Lord. Don't cut his hair. And his parents are overwhelmed, overjoyed. They're amazed. They apparently couldn't have children. And now not only are they going to have a child, they're going to have a son. And not only are they going to have a son, but he's going to be a special son. Have you ever met a parent that didn't think their child was just special? by the way. You know. But these parents can say, yes, an angel actually told us that. Our boy is going to be special and he would be larger than life. He'll kill a lion with his bare hands. He'll carry off the gates of a city on his shoulder He'll catch foxes and he'll tie their tails together and put torches in on to let them loose in the enemy fields. And at the end of his life, he will come back like a redeemed hero and simply with his brute strength will push apart the pillars of a massive pagan temple and take out thousands of the enemy. Somebody this special needs a special name. So you know what they named him? Sunlight. Yeah, that's what Samson means. <laughs> Sunlight. I, I'll just throw it out there to you. He probably got called sunny a lot when he's on the playground, punched too many kids out, and that's why he had a bad attitude. No, seriously. Somebody that grand needs a grand name. So his parents called him Samson. Judges chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah. And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and he told his father and his mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as a wife. But his father and his mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or or among all of our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. I, I don't know about you. I want to stop right there. But does the Samson almost sound like a modern day beer commercial. Woman, pretty, get her for me. Hey, can you imagine what his parents were going through? Well, wow, we're going to have this great son. He's going to be a redeemer of Israel. He's going to be a special child. And what's the very first thing he does when he gets out on his own? He, he, he robs us. He robs us of that wonderful opportunity that all parents look forward to, and that is seeing the union of their child with another godly person. Instead, Samson says, you know what? You know what I like in women? Looks. Looks. Long as she looks good, that's all I need. I want you to think about that. Who dates like that? Not only does he defy his parents, he's certainly not looking for virtue in a woman at all. In fact, Proverbs 28, 24 reminds us that whoever robs his father and mother and says it's not a transgression, he's a companion of a destroyer, and Samson's certainly robbing his parents of joy. But I want you to especially remember this proverb, Proverbs 28:22. A man with an evil eye hastens after riches and does not consider the poverty that will come upon him. Before we continue reading, quick observation. Is Samson just a little bit out of control? Just just a little out of control? We read on, I'll begin now in verse 5. It says, Then Samson went down with his father and his mother to Timnah. And they came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him, roaring. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and he talked with the woman. And she was right in Samson's eyes. And after some days he returned to take her and he turned aside and he he saw the carcass of the lion and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. And he scraped it out with his hands and he went on eating as he went. And he came to his father and his mother and he gave some to them and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. The first thing we noticed about Samson is the way that he woos women, and certainly that continues here. But not only does he have a demand for instant gratification, get her for me now, now you notice he's delighting in something that's forbidden. It may not seem like a big deal to us. What's the big deal with eating honey? Well, well I don't understand. Well, he's, he's a Nazarite. He's been separated to God. And, and, and not only just because he's been consecrated or separated to God by his Nazarite vow, but A body that is dead is unclean. Even under any Jewish circumstance in which a person is trying to be right in the eyes of the Lord, you don't go and touch what is unclean and not only has he touched it, he's eating from it. And not only does he eat from it, he takes it to his parents and encourages them to do the same. See, as it says in Proverbs 9 verse 7, to the scoffer, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. You you really kind of get the sense that what makes this so much fun and exciting for Samson is that it's wrong. It's untraditional. But Samson kind of takes it to another level when he includes his parents in it. Now, let's just bear in mind, his parents are already bending farther than they want to bend in allowing him to marry this woman, and now he is bringing them into his own sinfulness by eating of the honey. Proverbs 19:26. He who mistreats his father... And chases away his mother as a son who causes shame and brings reproach. Let me ask you that same question again. Is Samson, is Samson just a little out of control? Uh, what's interesting, he's going to go down and he's going to marry this woman. And maybe Samson is trying to prove to everybody he's more than just muscle, that he's got a little brains to go with that bra. And he comes up with this riddle, you know, and the riddle centered around that lion. And he, he kind of smarts off to all these new Philistine friends of his and says, hey, let's see if you can solve this riddle. I bet you can't solve this riddle, blah, blah. You can't solve this riddle. And And they couldn't solve it. So, what do they do? They, they go to his wife. <laughs> now, please note, we're not talking about Delilah. We ain't got to that story yet. They go to his wife and they pressure his wife. And notice verse, verse 16. All right, verse 16. And Samson's wife wept over him. Well, this is a great honeymoon, isn't it? Hadn't even been married a week and she's already crying. And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You've put a riddle to my people, and you've not even told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I've not even told my father nor my mother, and I should tell you. And she wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. This is a great marriage starting off, isn't it? Yeah. For seven days... She weeps and on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him hard and then she told the riddle to her people. And the men of the city came to him and on the seventh day before the sun went down, they said, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? They answered it. And now Samson's going to have to pay up. And notice what Samson said in return. If you had not plowed My heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. I don't pretend to be a Hebrew scholar. But I'm going to assume that even back in the days of the Hebrews and the time of the judges, that to call your wife a cow is not a good thing. If you had not plowed my heifer. Not only does Samson get angry that they've answered the riddle. He gets angry with this new wife that he had to have. This wife that he said, she looks so good to me. Get her for me. And before the week is over, they're divorced, separated, and he gives her away to the best man if you will or the first man at the wedding. Remember that proverb Proverbs 28:22, he who hastens after riches poverty will come upon him. Did it not happen to Samson? Now here's what's interesting about the life of Samson. We know we ain't got to the Delilah debacle. We haven't got to the other times where he shows his angry and gets out of control. But what is definitely clear from right here in just the very beginning of what we see of this man, that when it comes to a little tears, when it comes to a little misfortune, when it comes to a little feelings, when it comes to a little bit of discomfort, when it comes to just a little bit of want, he can't control himself. He lives with the idea that I want pleasure and I want it now. And what you actually see in Samson, and this is something that you really see throughout the time period of the judges, is this, this little fact about the people in that day and age. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And with Samson, with Samson, we're talking about a man whom God has given. An unbelievable birth. Whom God has given unbelievable strength. Whom God has given an unbelievable mission. You know what you could really say about Samson? He is the total opposite of another character that we studied just a couple of nights ago, Joseph. Joseph had nothing special with his birth. Joseph had nothing special with his family. Joseph had nothing special with his physical abilities. Joseph had nothing at all. But yet the man who has everything Inwardly, he has nothing because he has no self-control. Our fifth rule of the spiritual road, and it's epitomized in the life of Samson clearly in a negative way, is this rule. I, I must lead a disciplined Live. Proverbs 25, 28 reminds all of us that a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Now, Now, let's just be honest for a moment. Let's just slow down for a moment. I know that I've just been kind of going off here on Samson, but let's psychoanalyze this for just a moment. What happened to him? Have You ever done that with somebody that you've seen kind of, whoa, they just took a big turn or, wow, they seem to have great parents or, wow, everything was working for them and, whoa, what happened? Well, let's psychoanalyze maybe Samson for just a moment. Was it his parents' fault? Well, maybe. (laughs) They thought their child was special. Those of you who are teachers, (laughs) isn't it wonderful when the very first thing you hear from parents when they introduce their child, my child is special. Really? Really? Oh, yeah, he can already speak three or four different languages. He's a whiz at math. Now, now you're going to have to understand he has a few peculiar things every now and then, but that's just because he's so smart. Really? R- really? Who doesn't think their child is the greatest? Actually, my dad didn't. <laughs> <That's> a, <laughs> he's like, do something great and don't praise you, but he hasn't done anything. You know? it's like, and I'll have to confess, when my kids graduated from high school and everybody gives them all those gifts, I said, you do realize all those gifts were given to you because you did what you were supposed to do? You haven't really earned anything? Go out and earn it now. Go make a living and bring it back and give it to your dad. Your dad's hungry. No, but think about it. Could it have been his parents' fault that they maybe gave in to him? Proverbs 13, 24 reminds us, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline. Maybe, maybe Samson it was just too big to spank. But then again, What's the first rule of the spiritual road? What's the very first rule of the spiritual road? I'm accountable for all of my actions. Regardless if I have great parents or not so great parents. You know, one of the greatest blessings for me is, is that when I get to go and travel and I meet so many people and I'm blessed to work in a very large congregation in which there's so many people, is I, I hear so many stories. And, and, and the stories that just enrich me and inspire me the most is when I hear of the stories of faithful, strong, vibrant Christians who grew up in the homes of unbelieving parents. And I just... Some of us grew up in the homes of wonderful parents. But I'll tell you this every decision I make now is not on them. The first rule of the spiritual road is I'm responsible for me. And when you look back and you consider these rules, you can't blame his parents. You can't even blame society. You can't blame the Philistines. The first rule of the spiritual road, and all of us need to see this in our lives, is that I need to choose the way of faithfulness, and therefore I set your rules before me. So not only am I going to be accountable for all my actions, I want to fear God, and I will keep His commandments. I will live my life like Joseph did, as if God is right there beside me. I will surround myself with godly people, just like Jonathan and his armor-bearer did. And I will make these people a part of my life, and I'll listen to their wisdom and listen to their guidance, I will embrace the role of a humble servant and recognize life isn't about me. And one of the greatest gifts that God's given all of us is He's given us the ability to serve others so that we can receive the wonderful, humble, godly riches that come from being a servant. And then the last rule that really holds them all together, that keeps all these a focus in our life, that keeps all these at the forefront of our mind, that keeps all of these guiding us and leading us along this heavenly path, is this rule that I must live a disciplined life. I got a Tell you, If there was any message that I could preach on TV today and I could have the whole nation watching me besides the wonderful plan of salvation that comes in Jesus Christ, the message that I would want to preach would be this one. We live in a world of Samson's. We live in a world in which people live without discipline. We live in a world where it's almost like we pat ourselves on the back. How are you doing? Oh, I am so busy. Oh, I am so out of control. Oh, I am a hot mess. Oh, it's all falling apart. Oh, my hair's on fire. And we almost say that in a way that that makes us proud to say it. When in reality, what we're saying is, I don't have it all together. And I recognize to some degree, we're always going to be burdened with that challenge to get things together in our life, to keep all the plates spinning. But at the same time, one of the rules that our Lord teaches us is that we need to have self-discipline in our life. We live in a world without self-discipline, folks. We live in a world that is constantly wanting to be gratified, constantly wanting more. More. Self-gratification outweighs self-control today. Failures are no longer personal faults. They're due to society's shortcomings. We want bailouts for bad choices. We want wages without work. We want good health without good diets. Give me a pill. And we want success without sacrifice. We live in a world that has so much prosperity, but yet inside it's so empty. We can make many, many, many physical applications to this. And we'll make a couple in our take home. But for now, I want us to keep it focused on who and what we are spiritually. Uh, take down another book in the heavenly library. I want you to take down the book of Hebrews and go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. You, you, you might notice that this is the chapter that immediately follows Hebrews chapter 11, which is that great hall of faith. All those great men and women of great faith in the Bible that we marvel, we marvel at the obstacles they overcome. And if you go back and you look at every single one of them, their lives were hard. Hard. Their lives had great challenge and they had to discipline themselves. In fact, they had to discipline themselves so much. The Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrews eleven thirteen 13 through 16 that every single one of them, every single one of them had the opportunity to go back to their life before the Lord. They had the opportunity to go back to that life that they once had. They had the opportunity to return, every single one of them. But they looked to the city. Whose builder and maker was God? They looked to a city that was not built with man's hands, and some of them, because of that choice, would give up great earthly riches. Uh, M- Moses marvels me. I just—can you imagine? Can you imagine being Moses? Anybody here have a grandparent? Anybody have a grandparent? Let me say it like this. Any of you parents, have you sent your kids home to their grandparents? Yes. And when they get back to your house where you used to grow up, now it's a grandparent house, you'll notice your kids are eating Cocoa Pebbles for breakfast. You never got sugary cereal for breakfast. And not only do they have Cocoa Pebbles for breakfast, they are eating it with chocolate milk and a Coke. Whoa! Grand and grandmanna are great. They're great. They're great. And I was like, they're killing you with sugar. They are not the same parents I had growing up. What has happened to them? And they say, We're grandparents now. Imagine you're Moses and you're the grandchild of Pharaoh. You ever thought about that? Pharaoh's your granddaddy. You know what it says in Hebrews 11? He gave up all those riches. Because he chose the reward of the reproach in Christ as being more valuable. Who does that? Someone who's spiritually disciplined. And so when you get to Hebrews chapter 12, when you get to Hebrews chapter 12, it should not surprise us that the Hebrew writer now focuses a lot of attention on discipline. 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 What does it actually mean? Well, discipline, by definition, can be instruction. It can be teaching or training. It, it, it can be to chasten. It can ex- uh, certainly be to educate or even to punish. And there's great value in discipline. And so, from verse three, from verse three through verse eleven, the Hebrew writer implores us to see the great. Value of living a disciplined life. Follow along with me. I'll begin reading in verse 3. He's already encouraged us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And then he says, This consider him, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, right? Would that be fair? In your struggle against sin, it hasn't cost you your life yet, right? Right. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Quoting Scripture. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the one He loves, And he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all of you have participated, then you are illegitimate children and you're not sons. Besides this, we all have had earthly fathers who disciplined us. And we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Now for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I want to do something here for you real quick. All the kids, all the kids in the audience... I want you to look around. And I definitely want, if your parents ever get on to you for looking around during church, this is your opportunity to do it. And if they say anything to you afterwards, you come and talk to Mr. Phil. All right? I want you to see this. All the adults here who growing up got a spanking, raise your hand. Now, whoa, 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 whoa let me qualify this. I mean a Spanking. I mean, it was a near-death experience where you really thought your dad was going to knock your bottom to the other side of the county kind of experience. Who got one of those? Look at that. Look at that. That's not the part I want you to see. You ready for this? Raise your hand if you deserved it. Yeah. This is the best one. Raise your hand if you should have got more. This is church. Remember, you're in church. Yeah. Yeah, raise your hand if you went back and said thank you. You probably didn't that day. Oh, Dad, really want well, thank you for that. I mean, that still stings. While you're at it, why don't you go ahead and get this side too? Because I was, you know, <laughs> nobody does that. Now, I will confess, my brother, I've told you about my brother, he was so tough. He would just sit there and take it like a man. I'm negotiating, playing the lawyer. I'm dancing and everything else. And my dad would often say, just take it like a man. I'm not a man. That's why you're spanking me. I'm not standing still. And my brother would just take it. He was a man. But most of us didn't go back and say, wow, thank you for that. But I know many of us did when we got older. especially when we had children of our own. I never said to my kids, this hurts me more than it hurts you. You know why? Because it didn't. (laughs) didn't. (laughs) No, I wouldn't be doing it if it was hurting me. It's hurting you. That's the point. (laughs) But I never did it because it was easy either. And it's always out of love because your hope that somewhere in the midst of that heart, that heart is being molded, shaped, fine-tuned so that that heart focuses on the Lord and the Lord's will. I want you to see what the Hebrew writer is telling us as adults to treasure and value discipline. Why do we need discipline? Verse 3, so that we will not grow weary. In the same way that an endurance runner needs to train and train and discipline and discipline and to work and to work so they don't grow weary, it's the same true for us spiritually. We need constant discipline. We need the discipline to avoid sin. We need the discipline of God's love to to receive His love. We need it to have an understanding of family blessings. We need it, as He says in verse 10, so that we'll understand truly what is good. We need it so that we can share in His holiness. And we need discipline, as the Hebrew writer says, so that we can become fruitful. Please understand, self-discipline is not denying the inner drives and desires that are within us. Can I say that again? Self-discipline is not denying the inner drives and desires within us but it is submitting them to the will and the timing of God. It's not total repression, but substitution. You see, Samson's mistake was not that he was attracted to girls. Samson's mistake was failing to submit that attraction to the will and the instruction of the Lord. The Lord wants Samson to find girls attractive. He wants Samson to enjoy the fruit of a relationship. He wants Samson to enjoy the joys that come with marriage, but look for a godly woman, not just what is appealing to the eye. And what God wants for all of us is for each and every one of us to enjoy the produce of a fruitful life they can only take place when I refuse to walk in the flesh, but instead put myself under the control of His Spirit. And here's the great irony. Instant gratification rarely gratifies. Did you get that? Instant gratification Gratification. I, I don't care what it is. <laughs> in, in, in a relationship? In an emotion? In a feeling? Even in an appetite? <laughs> it rarely gratifies. In fact, more than likely, instant, instant, instant instant reactions will lead to more dissatisfaction and often a greater pain than the discomfort we felt before. And those of you that are older and have either experienced it or watched it played out in the lives of others, you know that's true. So let's take this home. How do I live a disciplined life? Sometimes my preaching is referred to as simple. And that doesn't offend me. But tonight I want to make this simple really simple. I want us to get this. I want us to understand what the Lord is striving to write upon our heart. Listen to me. Follow my timing. Listen to me. Follow my instruction. So that you'll not only avoid this trap that ensnared men like Samson, but so you'll enjoy the richness and the blessings that I want you to have from this life. So what do I need to do if I want to lead a disciplined life? Well, I need to understand that the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. And so number one, here's what I'm going to do with my life. I am going to seek constant discipline. And I know that sounds weird. But it's not just I'm always seeking a spanking or I'm always seeking a rebuke. No, the idea of seeking constant discipline is meaning that I'm always going to be learning. I'm always going to be following. Think about it. Here's what's kind of interesting. Disciple. Disciple. Well, we know that that's a description of the followers of Christ. Disciple. Does that word look a little bit familiar to you? Very simple. If you look at it, that it's discipline. And isn't that what a follower of Christ is? Someone who has disciplined themselves to follow a certain path and in a certain way? The Bereans. The Bereans in Acts 17 are considered to be noble In fact, more noble-minded than other Jewish brethren because why? Because they were willing to examine the Scriptures daily. The very first church, what did they devote themselves to? That word devote in Acts 2 verse 42 is a very powerful word. It is the idea of constant focus, the idea of devotion and adherence. What did they devote themselves to? To the apostles' doctrine. Fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. I I, I want you to grasp and understand that one of the ways, one of the ways that the Lord disciplines us is that He surrounds us with so many godly people. He surrounds us, more importantly, with so many older godly people. Tom and Dot Moss. Lil and Buzz Brewer. Frank and Joyce Jamerson. John and Becky Haley. I I know those names probably mean nothing to you. But they mean everything to me and Cheryl. They were the young families. Young of heart families. In Dothan with us. I say young relatively because (laughs) they're actually the age I am now. Do y'all see me as young? Please say yes, Yeah. Probably not. But we hung out with them all the time. We even vacationed with them. And we listened to them. It wasn't like they just sat us down every day and said, all right, lesson 32. Phil, here's what you got to do. Now, Mr. Moss, by the way, did that. Did I tell you the story about being called an idiot? That was Mr. Moss. A few years later, he caught me... And he did it again. You're an idiot. You're not treating your wife right. And he was right. These older, wiser Christians are their own libraries filled with life knowledge. Seek it. Learn from it. In fact, Titus reminds us, as Paul speaks to Titus, and and Titus is reminding the the, the brethren, you encourage the young men to be self-controlled. And you'll notice also not only to Titus but to Timothy, he encourages the older to teach the younger. Proverbs 12, verse 1, Whoever loves discipline, loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. And that's in the Bible. I didn't say it. So you can't wash my mouth out with soap. Seek it. Constantly seek direction. Uh, Secondly, what do we need to do if we're going to live a disciplined life? Well, we got to take care of ourselves. And we need to secure ourselves first. And so here's what this means. That means every single one of us need to take accountability for our life. And here's how we're going to do that. I'm going to take accountability for my life Physically. Yes, physically. I need to take care of my own health. I need to take care of my own lifestyle. And I know you may be hearing this. Wait, that's not exactly a spiritual subject. Well, in a way, it is. Your body is a treasure that's been given to you by the Lord. Use it wisely. You take care of your own physical health to the best you can. You take care of your own finances to the best. Dave Ramsey, y'all ever heard of Dave Ramsey? Do you know what that guy has done besides make millions of dollars? He ripped off the Bible, folks. He ripped off the Bible. All those principles came straight from the Proverbs. Most of them. Have you ever heard him say the borrower is slave to the lender? Solomon said that. It just wasn't copyrighted. It's biblical truths. Take care of yourself financially and certainly take care of yourself spiritually. I tell you, the, the, the life of Daniel, and there's another, there's another great example we could have looked at. Look at how even as a teenager, he had already purposed in his heart. He had purposed in his heart that he would live a life of discipline even as he's being hauled away to a foreign land, that he would be pure, that he would practice purity. Purity. And then he would devote himself to prayer. You know what you see with Daniel? (laughs) Is that Daniel recognized I need boundaries in my life. I need to pray every day, or I need this restriction every day. In fact, what he recognized is that everything in life had to have a center. And no matter where you are, no matter who's your boss, no matter what your circumstance is, you can always choose who is going to be at the center. As one scholar said, apart from God, every activity is merely a passing whiff of insignificance. Unquote. And isn't that true? Apart from God, what is valuable? So you secure what is important, and you secure yourself First. Anybody remember your first job interview? My very, I, I worked for my dad, first of all. My dad had a furniture store. So I had to work for my dad all the way up until I was about a junior in high school. And you ever worked for your parents? Oh, my word. When I got a job outside of my parents' store, I was like, oh, man, this is great. <laughs> yeah. But I remember the first job interview I went to. Because well, parents, we expect more from our kids, Right. I was applying for a job as a sacker at a grocery store. I wore a suit and a tie. Had my shoes all polished. That was very important to my dad. I always had to polish my shoes, see? I'm, he's dead, but I'm afraid he's still looking, all right? For a sacker. Why do you do that? Why do you go to an interview all decked out, you know, and your hair's all perfect, you got all your resume? Because you know this, you know this, no employer is going to want you to take care of their business if you can't take care of your own business first. So take care of your own business. Do what you can to secure your own needs first. He who heeds discipline shows the way to life. If you say, well, it's so hard for me. It's so hard for me to get everything going. It's so hard for me to juggle all these balls. Well, here's what you do. You start with the simple things. Start with the simple things. Be on time. Be on time. On almost every to-do list you'll see in people's lives... How do you improve yourself? Being on time is number one. Number two is learning to clean up after yourself. At least that's what most wives put on there. But nonetheless, how about plan your day? In Ephesians 5 and in verse 16, redeem the time because of the days of evil. The fact of the matter is, we've got so much going on in our lives right now that we'll sit down in front of a phone, we'll sit down in front of a screen, and the next thing we know is two hours went away. And we spent two hours, and we couldn't even tell you what we did because we were surfing here and there, looking there and there, and we just wasted it. Now, nothing wrong at times to waste time. But not if you're a person who's out of control. Finish what you start, finish it, and please, please quit whining. There's no honor in saying I'm too busy. I know that's kind of a catchphrase of our society and it almost seemed like odd for us if somebody came to it. Hey, what you got going on? Uh, nothing. Well, you must be a lazy clog. So we usually will say, oh, I'm so swamped. I'm so swamped. Well, there's no honor in that. In reality, what we're kind of saying is, I'm disorganized. That doesn't mean every day is going to fit together the way we want but you know what's interesting when you go back and you look at some of God's greatest heroes of faith, men like we mentioned earlier, Moses, and even Joshua, is you see statements like this, Joshua eleven fifteen. They left nothing undone of all that the Lord commanded. Isn't that a great description of your life? They left nothing undone of all the Lord commanded. Respect the time. Plan your time. And then last, show some restraint. Does anybody here know what a gallon of milk costs? Do y'all know? It's $42. You think, oh my word, what kind of cows y'all got in Florida? No, it's the same, same here. Your wife sends you to the store. It's a little bit late at night. She says, go get some milk. So you run to the grocery store. And if I was a grocery store manager, I would put it right up front to make it so convenient because everybody that's coming in there late, they need to grab some milk. So let's just put a little, let's just put a little milk counter up front. But no, they don't do that, do they? Where do they put it? Where's milk? In the far back corner of the store. And so as you're making your way back there to just get one gallon of milk, you pass Twinkies and they're five for a dollar. I well, I don't eat them anymore, but wow, that's a great deal, and who knows, maybe the grandkids will come. So you grab the Twinkies, and then you'll go buy something else. Oh, would you look at that? It's on sale. i mean, we grab that, and you run this. Oh, my word, batteries. I'm sure I need some AAA batteries, although you got a drawer packed with them at home. And you grab those, and so by the time you get to the counter, and oh, my word, you get up there to the counter, <gasps> did you see that UFO eat the president? I missed that. Well, I got to read that. And so you're, I got a gallon of milk. I got five bucks. And then the lady goes, that's $42. You're like, what? Yeah, it's $42 because you have no restraint. 66% of all purchases are impulse buys. Did you know that? Anybody ever been surfing? You went and looked at some shoes one day. Maybe you just kind of looked at them online. And the next day you're on Facebook. Oh, there's those shoes. Then you get over and you're, you're, you're reading the news. and Oh, they're there again. Oh, the Spirit must be speaking to me that I need those shoes. No, it's an advertiser who knows exactly your IP address on your computer and knows how to manipulate you and knows that you're going to buy them even though you don't need them. And you buy them and you go, oh, man, I already had a pair. Oh, well, I got two now. Because we have no restraint. Paul says he'll buffet his body. It's pretty high-end discipline. To keep himself in control. Galatians 5 verse 22. You know what one of the fruit of the Spirit is? Self-control. Jesus says it like this. You don't have any control? Well, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Cut it off. Restraint is not getting to the edge and seeing how strong you can be. Restraint is recognizing your weakness and not even letting it be a problem to you. Samson? What were you doing at Timnah in the first place? Why were you even looking over the fence into the neighbor's backyard? Why weren't you with all the women of Israel who love the Lord, who love his ways, who could help you be a very, very very powerful and strong deliverer of Israel. Instead, his life was hard. Failed relationships, failed friendships. He would even lose his eyes because he had no control. I told you there's some brethren that just make me clap. Mark Denton is one of them. It was over 45 years ago that he and his mother were in a car accident. You'll notice that in the picture, he's in a wheelchair. He's actually paralyzed from the chest down. He wasn't born that way. When he was five years old, that car accident with his mom took away the use of his legs. It also took the life of his mother. He would grow up with a godly father and he would grow up with a resilience and that he would never miss a day of school. He would go to school just like all the other kids and when he got out of high school, he went to college and when he got out of college, he went to work. And he's never, ever taken one dime from the government for assistance with respect to his condition. He actually works for the government, works for NASA. He's done it for many years. And unfortunately, due to his condition, he's had to have a portion of his legs amputated. He spends much of his days in a bed, working from home, constantly moving, constantly drinking water so he doesn't get kidney infections and all the other complications that come with paralysis. He's one of the guys that I clap when he comes into the building. He actually goes to church in Harvest, Alabama because he's always going to be there. Driving himself, to the assembly and he is the happiest happiest person you could ever be around mark what's your secret he said discipline is the key to prevention mark what do you say to people who think their life is real hard and they he said pray <laughs> would you just pray and recognize how many blessings you have and recognize we're actually nothing without him. And what's his favorite verse? Well, his favorite verse is going to come from Romans chapter 8. That likewise the Spirit helps us in our infirmities so we don't know how we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. And he searches the heart and the mind because he makes intercessions for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good for them that love God to them who are called according to this purpose. And Mark will tell you, I've got the best life. Because he follows the rules of the spiritual road. Folks, that's wealth, that's peace that you can never buy. You can never earn. You can only choose to receive it by the grace of God. And praise God by His grace. He's given us His Son. His son to lead us home. And his son reminds us that it's it's not an easy path. For broad is the way that leads to destruction. But narrow is the way that leads to life. And yet there may be few who find it. But notice this. They find it. They find it. When they take the hand of their savior. And walk. Walk the spiritual road tonight. You need peace? You need joy? Do you maybe need a little discipline? Your Savior is waiting. Your Savior is waiting. Won't you choose to come home? And if we can help you in any way, do that tonight. Won't you come while we stand and sing?